Tonight's special guest is Juan Escobedo, a multi-talented award-winning actor and director. He is also a very talented photographer with his photography being widely praised. The Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs started publishing Juan's photography in 2012 as part of the City of Los Angeles Heritage Month celebrations. One of his most notable works of photography, Trash in Tears, was a series of photographs depicting models surrounded by trash in an attempt to explore the issues of hoarding, mental health, poverty, and drug addiction. Recently, the Los Angeles Department of Arts and Culture launched a collective memory installation as part of its Illuminate LA initiative. Juan Escobedo was selected to exhibit his work titled El Sombrero de Miguel Lopez, which pays homage to his late grandfather and one of our topics today. Let's welcome award-winning actor, director, and photographer Juan Escobedo to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bond. Thank well, I have me. to... Well, you're very well. It's great to uh, to have you on the show. And I must ask, what came first for you, acting or photography? Well, I, I think photography. I did photography in high school, uh, you know, as an elective class, and I really loved it. Uh, back in the 80s, we used to process uh, our own film and print. And uh, there was something about, about being in the dark room. Uh, I don't the chemicals. I don't know what it was. The water dripping. You know, it was just so many elements in the dark room that that uh, when you were in there, you were just you were just hearing everything and trying to figure out what was coming up on on the on the, on the Kodak paper. And it was just the most amazing feeling. Uh, it, it's hard to explain unless you you you're into photography and unless you've done it and it's in your DNA. It's really hard to explain. Well, you know. Uh, I can relate to, to that one uh, in, in an outside way. My father was huge in photography, and he, he would take a day, like a Saturday or Sunday, lock us out of the only bathroom <laughs> in the house, and that's where he set up his darkroom. He had the chemicals, he had the, the bins, the trays, yeah. and yeah. you know you had to use the clothesline to uh yeah. or the shower curtain line so to speak to hang yeah. up that like you said the yeah. kodak paper and just see yeah. what kind of art that you actually With, created come to life from those chemicals it just, so it just floated it just floats through the water and you're just like oh my god amazing amazing yeah well you yeah know, well, what what were some of the things that you loved to photograph back then Back then, I think it was just friends. Uh, I was looking at some photos and remember Guess, the, the campaign Guess for, for the Guess clothing. So we were all wearing Guess clothing. Uh, it was like the acid wash jeans. Uh, it was, I, 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 I went to high school in the Hoya High. And so all my friends had pools, ex except me. And for some reason, we were always by the pool and I was always trying to catch the reflection of the model or my friend posing by the pool. I, that's what I remember, trying to catch that reflection. Uh, that's the mailman. Uh, the other dog loves the mailman. Uh, so I remember that. And, uh, and it was just something that, uh, the, the reflection, it, it's just something that really attracted me for some reason. I don't know why. Well, you yeah. know, it, it, it reminds me when you said guess, and I think that, and, and really the 1980s, you bring up acid wash, the jeans. I mean, the, the culture, the, the fads, the trends of the 80s, to me, can't be matched. You know, in the 70s, we had incredible births of music. But in the 80s, it was really fashion. 
But then, you know, we had uh, Benetton. You know, they were yeah. really that yeah, yeah. first brand that really focused on people, focused on diversity, focused on the models. Very progressive, yeah. Very progressive. Now, you know, when, when Benetton started doing those types of ads, did you kind of pick up some vibes from that on what you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I, I don't like simplicity in the photos, uh, except for Robert Ma Maplethorpe, maybe with the be simple, beautiful flower just coming out of the, you know, onto the screen or onto the onto the paper. But um, I, yeah, I like that variety. I really like that. And, and when I used to see the African-American or African uh, models, I would be just amazed. I would be because everything was just very um, Caucasian, if you will. And which was great. It was amazing. Amazing photography. Herb Ritz, I think, was one of the main photographers that I started to see on GQ magazine. Uh, but but when you start to see the those those 31 flavors, if you will, it was just so beautiful to see. And and they had no uh, apo apology for it. They were just gung-ho. And it's so funny because uh, we talk about the 80s and, and early 90s, too, for me. Uh, I recently became friends with a British model uh, who used to model for all the GQ magazines that I used to see on uh, in the 80s and 90s. So it, it's just it's just it, you know it's a full circle, and and for me Benetton is also a full circle because I like to use faces that are not beautiful, faces that have more charisma, more character than beauty than the standard beauty. Uh, and I forgot about Benetton. That's interesting that you bring that up. That, that's uh, thank you for that mem that flashback. <laughs> well, I, I'm a, I'm a huge Formula One fan, and you know, back in the day, you know, Benetton when they hit the scene, um, it was really a cross between their marketing campaign. But you know, and you brought something up that I don't think a lot of people notice today, that in today's photography, especially and especially magazine covers. You know, mm -hmm. they always go towards light skin. If it's African-American, they seem to, the marketing moves towards light skin and in a way, maybe Hispanic and Latino. But with Benetton, you know, you brought up the point. They brought in the African models that, let, let's just, they were very, very dark. But yeah. because of the campaign, you saw it, you noticed it. And, yeah. you know, and in a way we, we see a little bit of that maybe in Vogue, but we don't see a lot of that, like that, that bold, I guess in a way, maybe a uh, shock value for some, but it worked and yeah. maybe, maybe that'll come back one day. Yeah, I think I think a lot of photographers. I know David LaChapelle, who's another photographer whose work I just I, I love. Uh, he he pushes those boundaries. He he pushes the the beyond the norm, and he focuses more on characters, more on on the charisma of, of that model that just that just jumps at you through the pages. And uh, when I photograph people. Uh, I like to see that. I like to see what they bring to the table because when you do photography, the photographer and the model, it, it, it's a symbiotic uh, uh, relationship, if you will. It, it just can't be the photographer shooting or, or the other way around. It has to be a collaboration, if you will. And that's why I like Trash and Tears because in, living in LA, in Hollywood, Long Beach, I live close to Hollywood, 
I, I have a lot of actor friends and I make films and I use all those actor friends and models. And, uh, and, and when I started doing Trash and Tears, I would call my, my actor friends and, say, and I would say, hey, come with me. Let's take a ride around downtown. There's a lot more trash in the past years. And there's an area that's accumulating all this trash. And, and to me, I, I would drive by these areas and, and, and just wonder what is happening, why? So I would invite the, the actors and I say, let's have a conversation on the way to, to the location, if you will, to the set, which was a, a trash. And uh, we would talk about the conversations that would come out uh, in our car would be about hoarding, would be about living paycheck to paycheck. Some of the actors, you know, starving actors, they would say, uh, you know, that that could be me next month because right now I'm in the couch, couch surfing with friends. But next month, I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, so so with those conversations, Trash and Tears became even more important for me, if you will, to explore those those social issues that affect us all. And, and it could be us at some point if we're not careful, if we're not um, consistent with our lives, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, I saw some of the photographs you did for uh, uh, Trash and Tears, and I never really thought about it before. Uh bringing up the subject of, of hoarding, you know, we think of homelessness of being there's mental health issues. There's poverty. People have lost their jobs, yeah. lost everything. They're living on the street. And of course there's drug addiction. Hoarding yeah. is, you know, we think of people living in their house and storing up stuff that they're never, that they probably haven't even looked at in the last 20, 30 years. But yeah. when the, with homelessness though, with trash building up, people yeah. are trying to grab a hold of, things yeah. around them that not necessarily giving them comfort, maybe some way, somehow giving them value. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was very interesting that uh, your depiction of that was, it was very interesting. And one in particular, I want you to kind of explain to all of us. And I'm going to show everybody this photo of you have two people, one with a, a black uh, flowing scarf and another one wearing a red scarf, kind of like, catching uh, they're catching the wind and you see yeah. the trash build up in the background what yeah. is what did your eye see there well the the first of all the those two uh models uh one of them is now a photographer uh too um they they were so striking they they i did a couple of tests and they just popped on on on, on my camera i was like whoa you know, you, you get those people that, that they look very normal, very plain uh, on the street or, or your friends. They look normal, uh, you know, a little bit on the not so attractive side sometimes, you, you, you think. And then uh, you photograph them and you're like, what the heck just happened there? It's just that, that electricity that they possess, that, that thing that, that I, I hate the word, word photogenic, but, but for lack of a better word. And uh, some people just have that, and those two have that. And they were very thin, which I, I hate to glamorize, uh, you know, thin models, but, but they, they, was just, they just did one move, and that was it. They, they had that thing, uh, the it factor, if you will. Well, isn't, and, it, uh, isn't it interesting for photography? I mean, I, I've been dealing with film for 20 years. By our naked eye, we see things in the natural realm, but then we, when we put a camera lens to it, and like for you, 
you you hit the shutter button. Um, maybe you're still using regular film, or maybe you've gone digital. But to I look at the viewfinder on the back of the camera, and all of a sudden, it takes on a whole new visual, a whole new feeling and emotion when it's captured versus looking out and saying, okay, I'm going to photograph what I'm looking at. But the difference between looking and seeing what has transpired in the camera are two completely different things. Completely different things. And the beautiful thing about uh, making films and, and sh shooting photos is that you sort of create your, uh, your own narrative, if you will. And for me, um, bringing those two models out into the street and their awkwardness and their charisma, and it, it, it was one of those things not to beautify trash, but but it was it was it was just something that just went really well with those two characters, those two models. And, and in talking to them, because uh, we would have these conversations again, you know, what do you think about the trash? What about this? What about that? And one of them just happens to recycle plastic bags and make uh, jackets out of them. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, that I would never think of doing something like that. And, uh, and the trash brought up those conversations and say, oh, you know, he would put, put uh, pinpoint uh, plastic bags. Oh, that's a good looking bag right there. You know, if, if I wash it, I do this, cut it, I could make it uh, make it part of a jacket. Um, so those are the conversations that, that, that strike me. And then I watch their body language. I watch how they move, uh, how they react to something I say, an expression. So when they, they're in front of, the, in front of my, my lens, I just say, well, you know, do this, do that. I think, I think the direction for some of these guys were act like E.T., you know, E.T., phone home. And there's one photo where he, where he just goes like this. And it was just so amazing, amazing. Um, well, have you ever yeah. have you ever photographed the homeless? I have, I have, and uh, the thing about the homeless is that there's a fine line between um, exploitation and and, and narrative um, or, or telling their story. And it's not, some of them, you know, when you give somebody a dollar, five dollars, you're sort of i don't know you i f i feel exploited i exploit like i feel like i'm exploiting somebody and uh especially when they're homeless if they're a professional model and actor that's a different thing because that's their job uh and a homeless person obviously they need a dollar they need five dollars a quarter sometimes uh so i have a lot of photos that i haven't put out there yet uh with with homeless people and and it's just i'm like uh, i don't know if i want to go there yet um so what i've been doing because you know i i sometimes uh, in los angeles this is just a little side story in los angeles in the 90s on sunset boulevard in silver lake there used to be a lady that i think was a hoarder later on it came out that was she was a hoarder she was weird she was just uh, very eccentric and what she would do is she would wear like this this uh straight shawl it was like it, it, the shawl did not uh move at all it was just like a straight shawl right just imagine like a like a straight line shawl shape rectangle and she would wear her head like really 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 high and she would just walk like a zombie through sunset boulevard and through silver lake and and to me that would be a little bit different later on i found out she was homeless she was a hoarder she was uh kicked out of her house so it just depends on the situation but 
for just to photograph a homeless just for because they're homeless i'm like i don't know no i i agree with that i think if you were to photograph the homeless i think it, it and let's just say it is published in a book or if it's published for art purposes there needs to be the story their story has to be told Exactly. And you know, because we can't something. assume, you know, I think too many people today assume that if they see someone homeless, they may look down like, you know, why don't you just go get a job? And people yeah. don't know and don't understand yeah. the story. You know, it's hard. Yeah. It, I can't imagine the difficulty it would be to start from absolute zero. Yeah. Because yeah. even if you, even if you got a job, you still have to save up enough money to eventually get a place to live and that could take a couple and in of California months. in Los Angeles. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, and, you know, you yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, oh, no, I was going to say you, you, you brought us something interesting about photographing the homeless just because, you know, you know and we, we got into why not or why I, I don't want to publish those photos. Uh, I, was in, I was introduced to a, a therapist uh, in Mexico City via Zoom, via Zoom, Instagram and Facebook. Like somebody said here in East L.A. said, you know, talk to Fer, Fernanda. Uh, you're going to Mexico City next week. Talk to Fernanda. I think she would make a great uh, subject for you, a great model for you. And I said, why? Why? And she said, because she's a heavy set burlesque dancer. And I said, okay. And I said, well, the, is, does she exploit that? Or, or like, is there a fetish thing around it? You know, I just imagine like dudes, just, you know, in the dark room with cigarette smoke and, and just fetishing over, over big women, right? And that she said, no, 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 no. She said, the, the burlesque part, the dancing is very minimal. It's more about how they are treated because they're fat and how they're taking back or owning the word fat and, and, give, and interpreting it into a more uh, sexy and more giving it more of a positive spin off. So I went to Mexico City. And uh, I met I met Fer. We only knew each other online, and I met four other burlesque dancers. Uh, and and they said they gave me a flyer beforehand, and the flyer was fat burlesque. And the group that I went with, people they were just like, "Whoa, what the heck is this?" And we went with an open mind. And, and granted, I went with uh, some some academia folks, uh, university people that that wanted to go to Mexico. And I said, "Let's go to Mexico." And uh, they were just blown away because they were taking back that term, that negative term uh, of fat. And uh, it was really beautiful how they told the story about what it is to be a fat and how they are treated because they are fat. Even at the doctor's office, how they are treated when, they're, when they walk in, they're already being judged because they're fat. And it goes back to what you're saying about, you know, even if you're homeless and you try, it's just not going to jive with society. Society will, will probably push them back because, you know, in California, it's so expensive. And and being fat in California, too, or anywhere in the world, it's just, uh, it's just, it's got a yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean, the state of California, in a way, when it comes to, let's say, wellness, you know, you're running, you're drinking your green tea, you do your yoga, yeah. and nobody thinks outside the box. But I like you, Juan, for a big reason here, because... <laughs> I like the fact that 
even with the burlesque, I mean, you have to have an open mind. And what comes with an open mind is listening and, yeah. and hearing somebody else's story. You know, you know through film, it's storytelling with a camera. Half of it's acting. The other half is camera movement. Photography, it's telling a story, but it's like a silent movie. Because yeah. we don't hear the voice. We may see the emotion in the photos, see the emotion in the eyes or the look of the person. But yeah, yeah the story has to be told. And I just love that uh, about yeah. you. Now, let me ask you this, because I've kind of brought it up. When did you, I mean, are you still taking pictures with real film or 35 yeah. millimeter or have you gone to yeah. digital? I do both. Uh, so I, I bought a used Leica and I bought a used uh, Mamiya. The Mamiya is a medium format um, and, you know, you don't get as much as, as many images uh, because it's, well, it, the way it's set up, the, the Mamiya. But I just love the way film looks. So sometimes uh, those two those two models that you said you said with the with the the see through yeah the scarf yeah yeah so I shot them in film and I shot them in in uh, in digital and uh, it's it's a whole different thing man it's the same image but but the texture the the I don't know the grain sometimes the the depth of field everything is just just beautiful and it's completely different <laughs> well which one did you publish that one was digital uh so what i did is you know i'm I'm a, I'm a horrible editor i hate to say that and admit to it but a lot of the times uh either you're very technical or you you know what you want in your image i don't want to say talented because that's just so weird right but but it, it, it's a it's a rule in photography you're either very technical or very talented well, what is your um, well? What is your thought of uh, especially today? Um, and it's more rampant than ever. Uh, what is your thoughts on photo manipulation? I like it. I think it's good, uh, but it, again, it has to it has to be uh, when you manipulate a photo, you need to um, have a point of view, and you need to make sure that the point of view that you're trying to project comes across. Uh, if it's just photo manipulation, just for photo manipulation, uh, it can be very gimmicky, and it and it won't work. Um, yeah, I, you want to tell the, yeah because you want your photos to tell the story. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm working with uh, the East LA Women's Center in East LA. They they are a domestic violence and sexual assault uh, prevention and resources uh, for women. And they asked me to do a campaign of hoops and red lips. And I don't know if you know, but there's a term here in LA, I think it might be national or around the world. The bigger the hoop, the bigger the hoe. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> yeah, you can say it. <laughs> okay, so the bigger the hoop, the bigger the hoe, whore or hoe. And also red lipstick, uh, a lot of people, I know for me in Mexico, when I lived in Mexico, uh, red lips were associated with, uh, with, with sex, you know, women being easy. So what the Easterly Women's Center is trying to do is trying to own back the, the, the hoops and the red lips and, and trying to let people know that, or to men mostly, that just because you're wearing red lips and, and big hoops, it doesn't mean that you're a whore. It doesn't mean that you are easy. So they're trying to own, own that back. 
and kind of like the fat burlesque and uh or similar to the fat burlesque so i've been doing this this campaign for them these photos they're gonna publish one photo a day uh for the april for the month of april for sam which is uh, sexual assault awareness month so they're going to publish one photo a day next month and somebody said well wouldn't it be cool if you do like black and just red lips and i'm like uh you know i was like sounds cool in theory but but it's kind of cheesy you know um in yeah. my mind yeah, well, mind. yeah, it it would it would come across as an advertisement for the red light district. Some something, right? So I was just yeah, kind of like, but uh, but you know, yeah. it's funny because well, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying funny as haha, but yeah. um, that would have worked to me. That would have worked really well during the Me Too movement. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, may, yeah, maybe it needs yeah. a resurgence because nobody's paying attention to it now. But one, yeah. I want, I do want to ask you though, tell us about this exhibit of Illuminate LA. So the exhibit, uh, the LA County put out a call for artists, photography or art. And uh, somebody said, you know, you should submit that photo because I think there's a category uh, <clears throat> for, for your photo. And what it, what the photo is, um, First of all, the photo I shot in five minutes. It was like a selfie in five minutes. I put the timer on. I ran in front of the lens, and I was hoping I, I you know, catch the frame. Uh, so I took the photo in five minutes, and when I saw it, I was like, "Whoa, there's something here." And uh, and so I just kind of held onto the photo. I put it on Instagram, on Facebook. People saw it. People loved it. And when the LA County put the LA County Arts, LA County Arts and Culture. Uh, put out a call for for photography and art to exhibit at Grand Park across the across the way from the um, the government offices, the uh, city hall in Los Angeles. And I said, okay. So you know, sometimes you have to write like an essay and do all that stuff. And I was like, oh my god. You know, I can write you. I can write a screenplay, uh, but writing something where it's like I am blah blah. blah you know, it just does for me. I'm like, no. So, so the question was, uh, what, what's, what historical significance does this image, whatever you submit, has to you? And that was easy because the sombrero, uh, my, it was my grandfather's sombrero. And uh, my grandfather uh, is from Mexico, from a little town called Huejuquilla El Alto Jalisco that nobody's ever heard of. And it's so hard to pronounce. And, and that sombrero, my grandfather used to always wear sombreros when he was horse riding, horse uh, back riding, when he was taking care, care of the cattle, when he was uh, doing uh, fences, rock fences or barbed wire fences or just hurting, uh, hurting the, 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 the cows. And, uh, and, and he told me, or somebody told me a story, I can't remember if it was him, but I heard it a couple of times, that he would wear that sombrero when he crossed the border in Texas, uh, when, when you used to pay 50 cents. Uh, you would pay 50 cents to cross the border and you could go back and forth. It wasn't as, as uh, like it is now. And I thought, 50 cents? I was like, what kind of world was this? So, so anyway, so the sombrero... Um, uh, the way it came to me, the sombrero was uh, not only did I grow up seeing my grandfather wearing it, I saw my graf my father wearing it, and then when it got to me, I I started posing with it, 
and it had all this all this history all this uh my history because i i, I would always see him wearing a sombrero and i would always see sombreros in our house in our pueblito uh in our ranch um and there was always sombreros around. And I thought, okay, well, I'll talk about that. And I talked about the 50 cent uh, crossing of the border. And I talked about how I got that sombrero just in 2018. And in 2018, uh, for some reason, we couldn't go to the Pueblito. So the people that were taking care of our house there, my grandmother's house, I called them and I said, can you meet me in Zacatecas, which is four hours away from the Pueblito, and bring me the sombrero. So two young ladies that took care of the house get off the bus, travel four hours, get off the bus, and we meet each other right in front of the, the cathedral in Zacatecas, and they hand me over the sombrero. And I thought, oh my God. It was just uh, all around, I, I, I mean, I spoke from the heart and they really liked the story and they loved the image and, uh, and they, they published it. Yeah. Wow. Well, what kind saw- of man, well, what kind of man was your grandfather? He was a, 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 a man's man. He was a man that, uh, you know, salt of the earth, the sweetest guy. He wasn't my biological uh, grandfather, he, he, but he was my grandfather. You know, a lot of people think, oh, they're not blood, you know, therefore, you know, there's no love, there's no this, there's no attachment. You don't have to be blood to be family. Uh, he was family from the heart. He took care of us since we were tiny and always, always gave everything he had. Um, he, you know, one of the things, the things about when you grow up sort of poor and, and in a small town where you don't have a lot of, a lot of luxury in this, in that small town, it was, uh, when I grew up there, I, I lived there for three years and, uh, they had no electricity. They still use gas lamps. Those, those lamps that you put gas in it and you light up and hopefully you didn't burn your house down. Um, so it, he would tell us stories about La Llorona, scary stories. He would sit us all out on the, on the street, on the sidewalk by the house. And he would tell us scary stories and everything was pitch black. And, and it was just beautiful. And he would cut pears with his big knife. He would cut our, the pears and put chili on it and give us pears and prickly pears. I don't know if you know what prickly pears are, mm-hmm. tunas. So he would peel those off and sit all sit the kids all around it was just beautiful 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 i'm just amazing and then i remember running through the streets uh catch trying to catch the uh fireflies because you could see them it was so pitch black you could see the fireflies um yeah he was just an amazing dude well where well where can we find el sombrero de miguel lopez um on my website juanescobedo.com uh, you'll be able to see that that sombrero de Miguel Lopez, and then I've started photographing other sombreros that have some meaning to other people. And so I, I listen to the stories, and I borrow the sombrero, and I take a selfie, a, a professional selfie, <laughs> but without my face. Ah, wow! You know, I, I remember going to uh, Monterey. Oh gosh, I think it was 1980, I believe, maybe 81, wow. and. Yeah. You know, even back then, the, the square, just an absolute beautiful city, uh, a city in which back then you could take the, the carriage rides through the city at night. Wow. And wow. Uh, just, you know, I just have great uh, memories of Monterey, Mexico, just a, a beautiful yeah. place. But for you, uh, you're also a filmmaker. Um, you had a particular short film, Amerisol, which was yeah. Oscar qualified. What was that like? 
You know, the uh, just the word Oscar, uh, you know, you're like, what? <laughs> uh, as a filmmaker, that, that's your ultimate dream, your ultimate goal in life as an actor or as a director or producer, a filmmaker. And uh, Marisol was based in a true story, a story that I heard a few years before 2018, before we started writing and producing and, and all of that. And uh, it was, it's about a little girl who was, um, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, in East LA, there's a round table of, of community partners, if you will, nonprofits, social workers, uh, government officials, uh, police, sheriffs, they all come to the table and, and we have a quarterly meeting uh, on what's happening in East LA and surrounding areas and what, what we what we can do through whatever resources we have to improve and to provide resources and uh there was a social worker sitting next to me and she was playing with a uh, cigarette lighter remember those lighters that you push into the car and it's metal and it and you pull it out and it's it's like a round circle just hot just burning red yellow so you know i asked her i said are you trying to are you trying to quit smoking and she said she said, no, I, I have to present on a case. So when she said that, I was like, on a case? You know, I was intrigued. I was like, what do you mean on a case? And then she said, well, I have to go to the Department of uh, DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services, to present on a case that I have on my caseload. And it's about a little girl who is uh, punished and the way she's punished is they burn that cigarette lighter. They put it on the stove. Uh, once it gets really hot, they put it on her back to punish her because she, you know, for whatever reason, they think she's being bad and that's her punishment. And I thought, you're kidding me, right? And she's like, no, nah. she's like, and that's not even, you know, the beginning of it. She said, what they do also is they put boiling water and they dip her hands in the boiling water to punish her. And she was saying that the, the little girl's uh, hands were scarred and she had no sensation in her, uh, her nerves and her hands. And I thought to myself, what kind of cruel world are we in where this is happening to innocent children, to, to the helpless, you know, children rely on, on adults, on people to, to guide them, to nurture them, to give them love. And here are these two people, two parents, just abusing her that way. And not only that, those two things, but also locking her in a kitchen cabinet without food overnight because she misbehaved, did whatever, whatever she did. And uh, I thought this this story needs to be told, and it needs to be told um, the right way, very accurately. Sort of sort of similar to uh, Emmett Till, where the mother uh, refused to close the casket um, because she wanted she wanted people to see what the people had done to her son, how how they brutally mutilated his face or his body. And I thought, okay, well, let's, let's do it that way. Let's, let's not do it for sense for, um, for gratuitous violence, but let's do it because Marisol, the, the little child, the, the, the character would want you to know what was happening to her 
that that was my opinion we, we want you to know what was happening to her and, and bring that message that this is not right this is this is happening in the world and this needs to stop and uh, so we wrote the story um we we shot it it was going to be a feature film and then we ran out of money we looked at everything we had and one of the actors the lead actor said you know what you don't have any more money you have a short film here uh we can we can two week two days that we shot it one weekend just put everything into music editing and package it and you're good to go and i thought okay yeah uh that could work and then i started looking to, into the academy how that worked and that was a whole different experience because the academy there's a reason why they are so exclusive they they have their 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 rules and their the way they do things and i was just really blown away by way, the way they do it and why they are so exclusive and why people want the oscar because they do due diligence and they research research they i mean i was i think i was looked up back and forth my my whole history somebody got a hold of it and and so what happened is they saw the film in santa monica and i was like they saw the film i was like i think i went to every screening and they were all my friends i'm like how did they see the film in santa monica so so they saw the film in santa monica and then about two weeks later i get a, an email from the academy saying mr scobedo we saw your film in santa monica at the lamleys i think it was um we would like to know if we no we would be honored if you could give us uh, the script for our core library for research for filmmakers to come and research your your script and i looked at the email and you know how you get those scam emails and you think ah, this is a scam it's too easy so I got up from my desk in East LA in my office and uh, I was working for a nonprofit at the time. And I said, Rick, come, come take a look at this email. This is kind of weird. Uh, a young kid that used to work with me and he looked at the email and then he said, congratulations. I was like, legit? He said, legit, I think it's legit. So then I responded to the Academy and I said, I was still doubting myself. And I said, I think you have the wrong Juan Escobedo but I, I appreciate it. Uh, let me know if this is real, something stupid, like if this is real. And uh, they reply back and say, Mr. Scovello, we would be honored if you could give us your script for our core library, for the Margaret Herrick Library for the Oscars, the Academy. And then... so it's there now, it's there now. Wow, yeah. so what kind of, uh, <laughs> are you currently working on any new film projects now? I am. I have animation. Um, it's it's around dogs. My my three rescues and the one that passed away this morning. Um, it's an animation uh, on how to, um, well, more about awareness, how people mistreat animals, and how uh, animals are just more than 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 your pet. Uh, they become family members. They become therapy dogs. They become uh, just just uh, unconditional love. So I wrote a little comedy and uh, I have a friend who works work for Disney and is animated, animating it right now. Uh, we I hope to have something in a few days, so we'll see. Uh, and also uh, Black Skin, which talks about the Afro-Latino experience, uh, uh, but it deals with generational trauma dating back to the slave uh, era and how that trauma that the slaves uh, 
uh, well, the, the, the mistreatment and the trauma that they received in that era, how it trickles down to families now. Um, so it's it's a uh, and it's uh, it's through the eye of a foster youth being aged out of the foster care system. Um, so it's kind of heavy too. Uh, I like drama and I like comedy. So hey, <laughs> well, it yeah. sounds like an Oscar in the waiting. You know what? From Mr. Bond's mouth to <laughs> to the celluloid gods. That's it. I, I mean, I can see, I can see you. You know, and the winner is Juan Escobedo. I can see you walking up there. I can see you getting that golden statue and giving your acceptance speech. But uh, yeah, it is. It's a process. I have talked to so many film directors who have been nominated, who have won. And the experience is really surprising. None of them ever see it coming. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, for the nomination or for the qualification and the and the library, I didn't see it coming. I was like, "What?" You know, and that just makes it more special. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because um, in Mexico, remember the movie uh, um, El Norte? Remember that movie? I don't know if you. It's not nineteen eight nineteen ninety oh eighty four. It came out, and it was uh, Gregory Nava, the director. Uh, I think he won an Oscar for it. I think. Um, so I, we had lunch with one of the actresses from that movie and we, you know, we were talking, talking and she's like, so Juan, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And I told her, and then she says, well, I'm an Academy member. So she gets to watch the films, uh, for the Academy. Uh, so I was like, okay, next time we get a nod, I'm going to hit you up and, and throw in the, you know, your vote. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I was just. It was just really interesting how people, I mean, in Mexico, I would never think that an actress in Mexico was a member of the Academy. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just not that it couldn't happen, but yeah. Well, well, let me ask you this. And this is a subject sometimes I don't like to get into because of the fact that everybody has their opinion. But yeah. for you, Hollywood and diversity is it a media narrative that's been created or is there an actual problem? You know, um, early on for me, when I was doing more acting, um, it was interesting. It wasn't just about brown, but it was also about weight. And, and I, was, I was a skinny dude. And I remember going into, I did an audition and the lady, I took out my shirt. It was for Budweiser or something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then, and then she goes, oh, you could be the fat friend. And I was like, I was like, I'm not fat. But, but again, on camera, you know, you, you gain weight. Uh, so I've, I've never really, I've never um, wanted to think that way, whether it was happening or not. Because for me, it's it's all about the talent, the work that you do. Uh, are there issues? I'm sure there is, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then what I do is I look at, on the flip side, I look at Eddie Murphy. You know, I look at uh, Chris Rock. I look at uh, even Will Smith. You know, these people are working. These people are making a lot of money. Jennifer Lopez, you know, she's like, she broke down. But again, you know, she's beautiful. She's stunning. Um, 
so so I I don't know, and I hate to jump on that wagon, you know, where, but but to me, what it really boils down to is is one color, and that's green. You know, if you can make the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that's exactly right. And uh, yeah. yeah, I don't like getting into the subject either because of the fact that a lot of people don't understand the word. Um, yeah. And people, you know, you get, it's almost like the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but sometimes the wrong squeaky wheel gets the grease they don't deserve. And I'm just going to leave it at yeah. that. But, yeah. more, but more importantly for you, what life lessons have you learned to help evolve as an actor, filmmaker, and a photographer? You know, you, for me, um, I learned this from a, a teacher, uh, from a teacher and, and this um, French troupe. It was a French troupe that I, I auditioned for in a Cal State LA. Uh, they were Canadian and French, uh, um, sort of like a dance group. And they had me audition for, for, to that, for them. It was called Blue Palm. And I auditioned for them for for uh, a production. And one of the things that I learned from them is that uh, improvise, you know, have, have your have your your do your research and, and have your script or whatever. But also don't forget to improvise because not, it's not always going to be perfect. Uh, you can do I mean, and I met people that are just like if something goes wrong, they just freak out and it's like, no, relax. Uh, nothing is perfect. So I, I've learned my, my life lessons in this world is that nothing is perfect. You're going to fail. So go into it knowing that you will fail. And people people say, oh, but you got to be positive. You got to be this. Yeah, you're setting yourself up for, for you know, a reality check that's just going to slap you around and you're not going to be ready for it. Uh, so so one of the, some of the life lessons to me is that if you're going to fail, fail really good. I mean, just just fail, and, and then when you look back, you, it, it, it's going to be a learning lesson, and you're going to look back, and you're like, "Oh, okay, that was that was that was good. That was that wasn't that bad." And you build this thick skin that next time you're confronted with similar situation, you already failed, you already been there, you already, you know, what do you have to lose? Um, so those those are some of the life lessons that I've learned. But also in life, nothing is perfect. You, you can dream of your, you know, your white house with a pick fence and all that stuff. But guess what? Life is going to come in and say, no, 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 no. This is going to be your life. And, and you have to improvise uh, in life, on stage, on film, on camera, on everything. So learn to improvise. That, I, that is excellent advice, Juan. I can tell you that. I mean, I, I had a, a guest who... Uh, is a Hollywood actress and she told the most amazing story because she had worked with uh, Clint Eastwood and Clint relayed the story of when he worked with Meryl Streep and he said the problem was that Meryl would sit there and do a hundred takes uh, in a scene and finally without telling her he filmed her while she was just let's say <laughs> warming up in a way yeah. um, and then he sat her down and showed her the difference and, sh and said, look, being perfect, sometimes you kind of lose the ability to yeah. actually be human. And yeah. she learned it from, from those words and that guidance. And so, yeah, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to fail, but it's a life lesson. Um, 
Don't let it get you down. It's not the end. If you're still living and breathing, you got another yeah. day to make it right. And uh, yeah. and as you know, Juan, as I know, when it comes to film or television or even taking a picture, sometimes we have to do another take till we get it right. But in a way, yeah. that's the learning experience and the fun of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's been times when I take a photo and I'm like, oh, I didn't catch the tip of the finger. And it's just kind of like a beautiful photo, but if I can just get that tip of the finger in there and not, not cut, it up, cut it off. Yeah. So, you know, and there's always take two. Yeah. Uh, that's, there's always take two. And what kind of legacy uh, would you like to leave for mankind? You know, I, I love storytelling and I hope that people uh, use storytelling to, to bring awareness on issues. Uh, as, as human beings, we've grown so much and we've gone so far, but we've also done a lot of damage. Um, so I just hope that people use stories to really, I mean, storytelling has been since the beginning of, of time uh, with the, the uh, you know, the, the caves and the the paintings and you know there were stories there so i just hope that people really focus on storytelling to bring awareness and to uh to make a little dent in the world if you will i agree be with kind, that be kind you know be kind <laughs> be in, nice. this day, in this day and age be kind and as as we lived in the 80s we used to say be kind and rewind and, yeah. <laughs> and I think in a way there's some truth there that uh, maybe there's a life lesson to maybe we should rewind a bit and back yeah. up and and kind of maybe yeah. uh, erase some of the damage that we're actually causing now. But uh, yeah, be kind, tell yeah. the stories, uh, bring forth the emotion and um, reach the heart. Yeah. You know, I, I read something one the other day that said, if you reach the heart you can reach their mind. Oh my God, beautifully said. Yeah, just, you know, some of these books that are burning books. And I mean, didn't we learn from Hitler? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of like, you know, and uh, I remember my junior high watching uh, my Jewish professor play these, these films of the World War II and him just bawling in the back uh, and me, oh, the whole class, you know, and it's just like, didn't we learn anything? Uh, so, but politics, you know, yeah, the art I know of politics. It. Yeah, but yeah. but, ladies and gentlemen, Juan Escobedo, you've got to check him out now. Tell us your website again, so they can see the uh, El Sombrero del Miguel Lopez, as well as your it's, other works. Yeah, JuanEscobedo.com. and you all, you can also see. Uh, I've done Lydia Clamidia, Gary Gonorrhea, which kind of goes with your show, you know, the Doctor Show, and the little vignettes on STDs, uh, but with with characters and it's really funny. <laughs> I'm I'm going to check yeah. those out. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, again, hey, Juan, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the program. Thank I enjoyed it. So I hope much. you did too. Oh my God, you're amazing. You're in Texas. Uh, my perception of Texans are changing a little bit. And no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my uncle, my uncle lived down in... Uh, Harlingen, just literally across the border from Mexico, and he worked the crops uh, mm. down in that in down in that area for many many years, and it was so funny. He was because he was in the sun so long, and so <laughs> became so dark skinned that a lot of the yeah. people thought he was Hispanic. 
Yeah. And yeah. but he knew he knew Spanish very very well, and a lot of people didn't realize that uh, he also uh, had a hunting a side business for hunters. But you would get people like uh, Frank Sinatra. And oh, I love they, it. That would that would come down and say, "Hey, take us." Take us across into Mexico, and yeah. we can go shoot quail. And my uncle would always laugh because he said, "You know, we would bring back quail, but none of them ever kill any of them because I killed them all because they all got <laughs> drunk, they all passed out, and I had to make sure that they had quail so they could go brag to their friends that they actually uh, went hunting." <laughs> hilarious! I love it. You know, if if I have if we have an extra minute here, sure, uh, absolutely. One of my mentors, uh, Mr. Bloom uh, at ELAC, uh, he's the one that taught me film. He's the one I, you know, I'll call him up and I say, hey, what about the, you know, F-16 rule, the sunny, sunny rule or the, the, uh, the gray scale and blah, blah, blah. And he said that when he was young, he used to uh, ride, uh, uh, race cars uh, with uh, Clark Gable. And I, I thought, oh my God, how amazing is that? And here he is teaching me film. Yeah. The, you know, so, I just I love little, you know, little uh, stories like that yeah. because there is so much there. And uh, I love the history of film. I love old Hollywood, the golden era of Hollywood. I and, love it. Yeah. You know, some of the camera techniques used back in the day, I think, are now being completely overlooked. And we give too much to the moviegoer. We we show yeah. them too much. We need to allow them to use their imagination where you don't have to show everything. You know, it's you kind of a like bit a of mystery. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you would have like uh, you would like to have the man and the woman and they, they would walk into the bedroom and the door would close. We already yeah. know, but What's you don't happen? have yeah. to show it. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, you know, put that, put that mystery back in the filmmaking. And I, I think that the quality will be there. Yeah. But as for you, Juan, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to speak it forth. Like I said before, one of these days, hopefully we'll hear that the winner is, ah. and you'll be walking that stage at the Academy Awards. <laughs> Hey, we I already know you have that. the talent. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So well, I'll keep you, you posted on, on everything. Oh, please do. And you're welcome back. And ladies and gentlemen, head over to JuanEscobedo.com. Check out the artworks. Check out some of those vignettes that he was talking about. And stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because we have our musical guest coming up right after Who's this. That? Who's uh, that? The Lax are up next with <laughs> Hellraisers in Heaven. So... Get ready to ah. rock a little bit. So uh, All right. we'll be right back. <laughs> there are three common forms of hair loss in women. No matter what type you have, they aren't something you should have to suffer with. Hair Active from Primrose Leaf helps slow down hair loss and provides your hair and your scalp with proper nutrition. Join the thousands of people who are back to combing and brushing their hair again. Hair Active strengthens hair, improves texture, and increases fullness. Call Primrose Leaf today, 844-376-0007. That's 844-376-0007. Or visit us at primroseleaf.com. You have pain. From muscle pain to back pain, Curamed Acute Pain Relief has you covered. Curamed Acute Pain Relief is tough on pain, not on your stomach and liver. Our triple action pain formula is a breakthrough in pain relief in an easy to swallow liquid gel. 
safe, effective. Love your results or your money back. Tackle your life again in no time.